four months since we've been, and it was interesting for me when we met just a few weeks ago and saw those pictures of India again, how the emotions kept just came flooding back, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those things that you never forget. Mm -hmm. You something spurs on a memory, something you see something or experience something. It's it's just powerful. The images were so powerful. I don't think I was ready for the poverty. I, you know, you hear about it, but I don't think you get prepared for that. I don't think I've ever been around any group of peoples that were so needy. Mm -hmm. Out of all the places that have been around the world, um, Harvest India stood out to me, and, and part of why they stood out to me is because of the depth of what they're doing. To me, day two was the day that just shook me, showing up to those kids that needed food in a, the worst way. Seeing. Uh, however many hundreds there were, and then looking at the table and going, that's it, a mm -hmm. banana, a roll, and an egg. Mm. That may be the best meal they get the entire week, or the only meal. There is no way not to have tears in your eyes mm -hmm. and just for mm -hmm. your heart to be pounding and to know that that could have been the only meal that they've had in a day or two days or three days. I, I think the thing that um, you know pierced my heart the most is that when we got toward the end and we ran out of food. There was enough food for the children. It was just heart sick to look in their eyes. And when they realized we had no more food, and uh, I found myself walking with a tray that I had two eggs on it that had exploded when they were cooking them. I, and uh, I had a couple other eggs that I'd picked up off the ground because people had dropped. And suddenly I had little old ladies running up and begging me to give them those eggs. Hmm. And I just the thought that what I would have readily thrown in the trash, uh, they were begging for the opportunity mm -hmm. to have those eggs from me. Yeah. Hunger, lack of basic necessities creates desperation. Mm -hmm. And you saw it in faces <sighs> up and down the line. It's just interesting though, because I have to think to myself, what would I be willing to give to make sure that's not happening? And I don't know if the gospel and I'm still processing this in my own life, but I don't know if the gospel has made enough sense to me yet where I and ready to be radical enough to say the storehouses at Harvest India can't be empty because that can't keep happening. And what, what would I sacrifice to make sure they had an egg? Mm. Right. Yeah. And for all of us just to say what adjustments in my life do I need to make because the desperation there is like I've never seen it anywhere. Mm. But I think, I think it's a legitimate question to ask. What would I be willing to do without mm -hmm. to make sure that they had the very basic needs physically mm -hmm. and then Hopefully the basic needs spiritually met because right. Harvest India That's shares yep. Jesus with them too. Yeah. What, would I, what would I give up for that? It's interesting on a day like this, Easter, where most of us will leave here and go to a, a buffet brunch somewhere or our tables will be bountiful. Mm -hmm. That is more food than most of those people will see in their, potentially in their lifetime. I mean, they, w would we give up some of that sometime? So if, if you've been around here at all the last couple of months uh, since the team returned, you've, you've already started catching part of this in that, I mean, just what we saw and what we experienced there, the, the unbelievable poverty, the, the human hunger, it just, man, touched our hearts and changed us probably uh, forever. And we came back to saying, man, someone, someone's got to do something um, about that. We're talking about people who just, they're basic human needs are not being met. And, and we're not talking about cell phones, and we're not talking about iPads. 
Uh, we're talking about something to eat that day. Uh, we're talking about shoes on feet that don't have shoes. And uh, just, just gripped us and heart-wrenching. And we just knew. We knew we had to do something about that. But one of the things that I think happens, too, in, in that news, you go, why India? Why, why is poverty so rampant here? Why, why are people struggling and suffering so much in this uh, particular country? What, what's going on that, that that's the plight? And it's interesting because as you begin to peel back the layers, uh, you begin to realize that much of the suffering, much of what's going on comes out of a faulty belief system. Uh, Hinduism is the prevailing belief. Matter of fact, 90 plus percent of people in India believe in Hinduism, which is founded on basically in, in the primary premise is this of reincarnation. That uh, you live your life here and then depending on how you behaved and what you did, and what your karma looks like, uh, you either get reincarnated a little higher, you know, so you may be in a better place in life or come back as an animal of some sort, or, or you come back a little lower, depending on how you lived. So, consequently, because rats might be reincarnated people, uh, you don't do anything to rats in India. You, you let them live their lives because the idea is that rat's got to live out his life, has got to establish his rat karma to see where he's going to be reincarnated next. And so every single year within India, rats, because they're not taken care of, they're not exterminated, eat hundreds of millions of pounds of food that could have gone to people in India. Uh, you don't eat cows in India because a cow could be somebody's mother. A cow could be a person come back, and that's their next step in reincarnation. So you don't eat cows. As a matter of fact, cows are actually held in high veneration. That's a, that's a higher level of reincarnation in India. And people are starving. Another part of the system is, is this idea of caste. I don't know if you've heard this or not, but, but the idea that there are some people who are better than other people. See, you're, you're born into a caste. You're born into a level of personhood. And so if you're born poor, if you're born into the lower caste where you're uneducated and you're not allowed to have a good job. Matter of fact, some caste, you're not allowed to have a job at all. And, and the idea is simply this. That's your karma. That's, that's where you're supposed to be. That's, that's where you've been reincarnated to. And your job is to live out in poverty and if you live well in poverty, then maybe you'll be reincarnated different next time. And if you don't do so well, you'll be reincarnated lower. So people are absolutely told you cannot get education. You cannot work harder and better your life. You have to live destitute because that was your karma. That's where you were born. And people, people live absolutely destitute. You want, you want to hear one of the crazy things? Part of, part of their belief is that white people are holier than dark people. That white people are actually a higher form of reincarnation. And so when, we, when the team walked around India, literally, and I'm not excited, people would come up to us just wanting to touch us because we were higher reincarnations and we were godlike in India. Can I just tell you, when I got a chance to stand up in a church and talk, I told them, I said, that's stupid. I have met lots of white people. 
you're wrong about this. And I'm just telling you, look, I, I am dead sure that reincarnation is wrong. And I'm putting all my money on the fact that it's wrong because I got a pretty good idea what I would come back as. <laughs> so here's the important thing. And, and here's what you got to get in the moment. Millions, billions of people are suffering because what they believe is wrong. And, I, and, and you just need to get this moment. What you and I believe is a big deal. See, I know, I know, I know. I know that you and I have been told, look, it, especially when it comes to religious stuff, it, it doesn't matter what you believe. As long as you believe something. Can I just tell you that's a lie? What you believe is a big deal. And what you believe has the potential to change your life. And you believe the wrong thing, and you're going to end up with the wrong idea. You're going to end up in the wrong place. And you believe the right thing, and it has the capacity to forever, forever, forever change you for the good. What you believe, ready? What you believe, it's a big deal. The reason that's important for you and I to say today is because what you believe about Easter a big deal. See, I know, I know, I know. I know some of us came in here today, and, 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 and our perspective is simply, Easter's all about some little fuzzy bunnies, and, it, and it's all about Easter eggs and little girls in white dresses and that, that, that green plastic grass stuff that shows up in your vacuum for the next three months. <laughs> and oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, there was this Jesus dude, and, and you know, I, I mean, probably a pretty good guy, probably a good teacher, and he had some ideas that I think if you listened to him and followed him, probably would be beneficial for you along the way. Apparently, pretty misunderstood because they, they stuck him on a cross for it, which is a shame. I'm, I'm just here to say that what you believe about Easter, it's a big deal. Jesus had this conversation. Jesus, Jesus said, what you believe, what you believe has the potential to forever, forever change you. And so we're just going to talk about that for a few moments uh, this morning. Grab your Bibles, go with me uh, to John chapter 6. If you're not familiar, you can go to the back of your Bible, work to the left, you're going to find this book of John. It's part of what we call the New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, John chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 26. While you're going there, let me set this up uh, for everybody in the room. Some of us who grew up in church, maybe grew up as kids going to Sunday school, will know the story that happens before this story. Uh, that story is the feeding of the 5,000. And what happens there is, is uh, Jesus is out one day, he's preaching, and there's a crowd, there's a huge crowd uh, listening to him, and Jesus, typical of preachers, goes long. Not today, but back, and he goes long, and uh, they get to the end, and Jesus turns to his disciples and says, look, it, it's gotten late, it's supper, feed the crowd. And the disciples go, no, 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 Jesus, there's, there's no way we feed this crowd, I mean, it." It's crazy. And here's the interesting thing. We call this the feeding of the 5,000. That's wrong. The Bible says there were 5,000 men there, which means you still haven't counted the women yet, and you haven't counted the children. 
So this crowd is massive. It is huge. And Jesus says to his disciples, feed them. And they're going, no way. Do you remember if they say, Jesus, look, eight months worth of wages would not be enough to feed these people a little bit. Send them off into the town. Send them off in the villages. Let them fend for themselves. Jesus says, no, no, no. Sit them down. Find out what there is amongst the crowd. Bring it back, and then we'll feed them. And if you know the story, in the whole crowd, they found one little boy. He had five little cakes, probably cornbread-type cakes, and two small fishes. And Jesus said, okay, start distributing. And as, and as they do, it multiplies. And, 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 they're, they're, and they feed this enormous crowd. And when they get done, then Jesus says, okay, go pick up the scraps. And they fill 12 huge bushels, big baskets, full of the scraps from five little corn cakes and two little fishes. Now, the crowd sees the crowd goes, this was, this was cool. And one free meal deserves another. So here's what happens. Jesus then crosses the lake over to the other side. The crowd begins to follow the shoreline. Uh, they, they're they're going to meet Jesus on the other side, and when they get there, they go, hey, Jesus, what about brunch? Let's, let's do it again. And then Jesus has this conversation with them. And, and in essence, he says, what you're, what, you're asking the wrong questions, and you're looking for the wrong things. So here we go. It's, it's John chapter 6. This is Jesus' answer to the crowd. John chapter 6, starting in verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me not because you saw miraculous signs. Say, look, look, you're, you're not getting the moment is what Jesus is saying. You, you, don't, you don't understand what just happened. You're not looking for me because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. And, and all you're thinking about is, can I get my belly full again? Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. You get the moment. You say, look, look, guys, you're missing the moment. You're asking me for the wrong thing. See, you're, you're asking me for bread, and you're asking me for water, and the reality is if you understood who I was, and if you understood the moment, you could have asked me for something much more essential to your life, something much more, eternal bread, eternal drink, and I would have given you that. You've missed the moment, Jesus says. This is... This is interesting because you and I, deep down within our hearts, know that, that there's something that our hearts are hungry for. We, we know that in the evening as we're driving along in the car by ourselves. And something just deep down says, 
man, I'm hungry. I'm, I'm thirsty for something. It's moments when you and I have unbelievable success and the crowd is applauding and you've just gotten the promotion. Everybody says, I can't believe you closed the deal. And amidst the applause, amidst the accolade, something in your says, I thought it'd feel better than this. I, I thought it would be different than this when I finally arrived. The interesting thing is, we go on doing whatever we can to fill that emptiness, that hunger inside. And so sometimes we just decide to get even. Sometimes we just say, look, look, maybe if I hurt the person who hurt me, maybe if I give them the same pain that they gave me, maybe somehow balancing the scale is going to make my heart feel more balanced. Maybe, maybe what's missing, maybe what's aching inside is okay when I'm even. Some of us just live our lives with pride. We just say, look, I'm, I'm the smartest person in the room, and I enjoy not needing anybody else. I'll do it myself. Some would say, hey, maybe if I have enough partners, maybe, 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 maybe if I have enough sexual experiences in my life, maybe, maybe that'll fill that thing in me that feels just a little bit empty. Maybe, maybe that'll finally satisfy me. Hasn't worked in thousands of things. No one else has ever had it satisfied, but maybe me. Maybe me. And guys, here's what we've got to get. The very things that we do to fill that deepest, deepest human need, a need that is greater than hunger and a greater than thirst, the need to have contact with God. The very things we do to fill that actually build a wall that separates us. Because here's the deal. Walls, walls are always about separation. And the very things that you and I do trying to fill the ache are the very things that keep it from being possible. And so we hate people that get in our way and that keep us from reaching our goals and, and slow us down. And we think to ourselves, if I, just, if I just had a little bit more and if my pile of stuff was just a little bit bigger, then maybe, then maybe... And the very things we do build a wall that separates us from any possibility of filling our deepest need. Jesus, that's what Jesus says. If you knew who you were talking to, you, you wouldn't ask me for bread. You'd ask me for something more important. He goes on with the conversation. Verse 32, 
Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you bread from heaven. Now, here, here's the part, we, we skipped over it, but they had said to him, look, it was really cool, Jesus, that you fed us. Moses kind of did the same thing for our ancestors. Remember, he gave manna to them, so show yourself to be one better. Do it again. One more magic trick for us. He says, look, look, it wasn't even Moses in the first place who gave you bread in the wilderness. Ready? But it was my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Verse 33. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life the deepest need of the human experience, who gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who, next word, believes. Because, because, you ready for this? Because what you believe is a big deal. What you believe has the power to change your life. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. What did they not believe? They don't believe they need a Savior. They, they, they believe that if they, keep, if they keep building the wall long enough, if they keep doing this enough, that somehow that will fill the deepest need of their heart. And guys, here's the deal. If we're honest... Every one of us has got bricks in the wall. And I don't know, I don't know if we name the ones that would apply to you or if you've got your own bricks. Because the reality is we all have our flavor. We've all got that way in which we're trying to fulfill the deepest hunger of our human existence our own way. Not realizing that the very thing we're doing is building a wall that will forever keep us from experiencing God. And truth be told, you, you and I already know that the wall is ugly. You and I already know that the things we've done are dark. So here's what, here's what we do. We, we, we try to cover some of it up. And, and so we say, look, here's, here's the deal. Maybe, maybe if I'm really successful, maybe, 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 if, maybe if I get that next raise and maybe if I have that next achievement in my life, then, then maybe some of this stuff doesn't show up as much and maybe people won't notice this in me because my success will cover it over. It's the wife who says, maybe if I raise great kids... Maybe if I'm a better parent than my parents were parents, then, then maybe, maybe no one will see this inside of me. And then someone comes along and says, no, 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 it's not about looking good, it's about being good. And so we join causes and, and, and we help the poor and, and, and we hope no one will notice how aching and broken we are. Or we go to church and we get really, really religious and we think, maybe, maybe that'll cover it up. Hmm. 
you get that no matter how much you paint a wall, it's still a wall. And walls are all about separating us. Jesus finishes the conversation. It's verse 40. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and, next word, believes. Because, because, because. What you believe. What you believe about Easter. And what you believe about saviors is a big deal. It could change your life. What you believe. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. So I'm just going to ask, what do you believe about Easter? Is it chocolate bunnies? Is it, is it little girls in white dresses and plastic eggs? Or... Is it about God sending a Savior to somehow answer the deepest hunger of human existence, the deepest need that we experience? Is it about somehow a Savior who goes to a cross and, guys, I, don't, I can't even explain how this works. I wish I could say it. I don't know. But somehow that Savior hanging on a cross that breaks down the wall, that destroys the wall that we built, that, that there's, it's almost as if somehow this stuff gets tacked on the cross and somehow that shed blood pays for this. So I'm just going to ask, what do you believe about Easter? and saviors, and crosses. Because what you believe, it's a big deal. Let's pray. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that Easter isn't plastic grass. And it's not little baskets and egg hunts. It's saviors and crosses that, that somehow rescue us from the walls that we built, the, the things that we did that were dark and wrong in an effort to fill that which was empty and broken inside of us. And God, thank you that Easter is about the deepest need of my life, the deepest hunger of my soul being met, and a God who said, it's possible. It's possible to know me if you'll believe in me. Thank you for Easter. In Jesus' name. Amen.